Welcome to the Kitchen Sink meeting of Overeaters Anonymous. Please note, we will be holding this meeting via Zoom for the foreseeable future. If you'd like to attend the meeting live, go to oalaig.org for login information. And now, our speaker. Good morning, everyone. My name is Carol. I'm a compulsive over and under here. And I'm glad to be here. It's, it's so glad we can do this via Zoom. Um, I'm a long timer at this meeting. Y'all know me, but we have a lot of um, people visiting from other places, which is super cool. So I'm going to try to not spend too much time in what it was like um, and um, give you an overview and then get to some what, what it's like today. Um, I, I believe I was born compulsive. There is, uh, anecdotal evidence in my family to support that idea, but I didn't start acting out with food until I was about eight. Um, those first, like, seven years were ridiculously idyllic, and, um, I grew up in an atmosphere of happy, joyous, and free, which I've come to learn as an adult. Um, was an incredible privilege and something I'm so grateful for. And I think it really helped me in my recovery because so many people have to create that from scratch. And I merely needed to find my way back to, to where I started from. So very grateful for that. Um, started over, uh, acting out with food at around eight. And you can see my, my school pictures. I got, you know, chubby, a little chubbier, really chubby, a little fat, really fat, really, really fat. And then I was obese by the time I got to sixth, seventh grade. Um, I had all the wonderful things that go along with being an obese child. Many of us know them. I was bullied. I was left out of things I didn't feel a part of. I felt less than, um, spent a lot of afternoons after school in front of the TV eating. I snuck food. I lied about food. All that garden variety stuff. Um, I came into this program certain that I was terminally unique and that my life was harder than any other life. My parents sucked and everything was like, oh, woe is me. Then I started hearing people share about their childhoods um, and began evaluating my my past on the 12-step curve. And, and that's part of how I realized how incredibly lucky I was. Um, so I started, uh, started uh, getting really fat and, and getting all the all the lovely things that go along with that. And I um, went to fat camp the summer between seventh and eighth grade, and I lost all my weight. And I was really, really prepared um, for uh, everything to be rainbows and unicorns. I, I knew that just as long as I was thin, everything in my, my life was going to be great. Um, I have I'll show you a, I'll show you a little picture of um, some childhood stuff. Here's uh, me as a, as a pretty heavy kid, and then halfway through fat camp, I was already working it, um, sure that everything was going to be fantastic. And the one way that my story sort of is a little different than than a lot of the average stories you'll hear here is that six months after I lost weight, I got sick. I was diagnosed with juvenile arthritis, and um, I, it was a real blow. I mean, I was really pissed off, and... Um, I was raised by fanatical atheist parents, but I always rebelled a little by being agnostic. And at that point, the only concept I had of any kind of God or higher power was Lucy holding the football for Charlie Brown. Like, you know, I promise I won't, I won't take it away from you. Come on and and kick the ball. And then there I landed on a flat on my back um, because I thought if I lost weight, I would be at, at very least not 
standing out for the wrong reasons. But but I found myself bodily different than my fellows, and I had horrible um, uh, chronic pain on top of it. Somebody's unmuted. Ha, you're muted. Thank you. Um, and so I was, I was mad. Um, and I also thought if I'm going to have this debilitating disease, I'm not also going to be fat. Like as God is my witness, I will not be fat as well. Um, but fat camp didn't have any emotional component and certainly no spiritual component. So, um, I had no tools to, to maintain any kind of weight. And I just, uh, embarked on two decades of of yo-yo dieting that my story gets really, really typical again at that point. Um, like I've heard so many other people share, it got progressively worse. The swings of the pendulum, um, you know, how much weight I would gain when I went up got, got wider and wider. Um, the extreme methods and mental um, obsession when I was restricting and losing weight got more and more extreme and the amount of food that I would binge on um, got, got um more and more extreme, like mind-bogglingly extreme. So I'll show you a, I'll show you a, a picture that was only taken a year apart. Um, I had been a counselor at a special camp uh, for kids with arthritis, and um, I don't know if you're seeing the right photo, but uh, I had lost 50 pounds in between. Um, and the, everyone at camp was like, "Oh my God, you lost so much weight. You look so good." And I felt so fake, powerful, but. Um, I know now looking back, I was already on my way back up, back up binging because I could only hold on to that for so long. And then that continued and it got really worse. And in April of 1999, um, I was at my wit's end. I did not reach a physical bottom because I was on my way back up, but I wasn't, um, I wasn't at my top weight as an adult by, by about 20, 25 pounds. But I had hundreds of dollars of the diet club food in my pantry and freezer. And every morning I'd wake up determined that this was going to be the day. And every evening I'd be on the couch surrounded by binge foods, um, just powerless, just utterly demoralized and powerless. And at that point, I was absolutely certain that this was going to be my life, that there was no escaping this cycle that I was in. And, and, and this was just going to be my existence until I died. And um, I was profoundly unhappy, which is an uncomfortable place for me. I'm not someone who, um, for whom that's a, like a, like a natural state and I've got to work to get out of it. That was not my natural state. So it was incredibly uncomfortable. And um, I was, I was completely defeated. I heard a, a, a long timer share on Serenity Sunday a couple months ago, where she said she thinks about the first step as, um, I am powerless over, I admitted I was powerless over food and my life was unbearable. Um, my life was definitely unmanageable, but it had been for a long time. Um, in, in April of 1999, it became unbearable. Um, and I had a friend who was getting recovery in AA, close friend, and I didn't know her as a bottom gutter drunk. You know, she, she did things that I wasn't aware of. But I saw that she was just not able to manage her life. And then she got into program and she was just more able to manage her everyday life. And I was like, I, I want that. If, if 12 steps can do that for her, maybe they can do it for me. So that was, she was like my honorary Eskimo. So I crawled into my belly, uh, in a funky little meeting, um, on the, the 21st or 22nd of April, 1999. And 
somehow I heard the message. I was, I was struck abstinent. I know that's really hard for some people to hear. A lot of people have relapse as part of their story. It's not part of my story so far. Um, but I like to say that I was struck abstinent. I was not struck perfect. So, um, so, so now all these years later, I, um, I have a neutrality around food, which is, which is awesome. And I'm so grateful for it. Um, I, I'm still like a weird eater. I still have a weird relationship with food and I'm always going to. Um, so when they talk about, you know, we refrain from compulsive food behaviors, I, um, I sort of think of it as I refrain from destructive compulsive food behaviors because I'm still a little weird about food. I mean, I, I have a lot of the same food over and over again, which works for me. doesn't work for some people. But, like, for breakfast, I have a toasted Nutri-Grain bar and berries, and I eat it with a fork, and I try to make the ratio of bar to berry, you know, match up. Um, this is a little weird. Like, normal people probably don't eat that way. So I I have a strange relationship with food, and I'm okay with that. Um in, in terms of, let me tell you what I do on a daily basis. And I want to talk about character defects because that's what I struggle with. Um, and it relates to my food because when my food is handled and managed and turned over, um, then I get to work on my character defects. And sometimes um, I do a great job and I'm, I, I relate it to like a batting average where some days I'm really batting, batting 500, I'm killing it, I'm making the – NL uh, player of the week, you know, and then other, other times I'm just like at the nose line. I just can't get anything right. And I'm making amends all over the place. And I'm just, you know, so that's an ongoing, ongoing thing. And all I can do every day is try the very best um, to do the best that I can to be the person that makes me feel good about myself, that I think the universe wants me to be. And if I screw up, um, to do better the next time, to make amends if, if necessary, and, and just re, re-up, get back on the horse, try to do better. So what I do on a daily basis, which is part of what helps me have the neutrality with food and, and makes me aware of the character defects um, and gives me the ability to, you know, restrain the pen and tongue and or make amends right away. I um, This has changed over the years, but I think that the biggest thing that I do, that I've been doing for 21-plus years, I have what I call an accountability sponsor. I used to be a food sponsor. Once I hit the 10th step the first time around, he started taking 10 steps from me, and, and now it, it's sort of I admit the exact nature of my food and my day to another human being every day, no matter what. I've done it, you know, from a cruise ship in the Mediterranean. I've done it from the hospital after surgery. I've had a friend read my food into uh, the guy's voicemail when I had, you know, laryngitis and pneumonia following surgery back before email. Like, I take that really seriously. Um, and I've used different formats. Uh, today, I, I have a, a long list of questions that I answer, some sort of based on the on the big book and others. You know, if there's something that I struggle with, I put it on that 10th step so I can be accountable. How well did I do with that today? Um, and I turn that over and and I, I write it the next day and I email it to him and it and it and it makes makes it so yesterday ha- doesn't have power over me that today is a new day. Um, ho- however good or bad um, yesterday was, today I get a, f- a fresh slate. So I do that. I read the OA um, books daily. 
I um, meditate for 10 minutes, which that's only about four or five years old. I, I, I never thought I would be a person who consistently meditated. And um, every time I tried it, it was wonderful. And I was like, man, I really need to do this. Um, but I didn't have that, that desire and the, the willingness. And, you know, I formed the habit so much so that my phone reminds me, like, don't you want to, isn't it time for you to meditate now? <laughs> want me to play that, that guided meditation for you? I'm like, thank you, son. So I meditate just about every day for 10 minutes. Um, I, I do the 10 steps, the books. I'm at a meeting almost every day, even before COVID. I would call into a phone meeting and I might be multitasking and washing dishes while I'm listening, but I'm listening and I'm hearing shares and I'm hearing speakers and I'm reminded of our 12 step way of life um, pretty much every day. So now I get to do a Zoom meeting every day, which is awesome. Um, and I do make calls. I think the telephone is one of the um, tools that I, I use only in a certain way. Like I have like my, my people and I call them a lot and I don't reach out to um, newcomers or people I don't talk to that frequently that much. It's an area I could do a little better in. Um, I love the tool of action plan, which we added a few, a few years back. Um, cause I love to do lists and checking boxes, man. That is my jam. Um, one of the things that I do, I have a, a buddy who's on this meeting probably. We do, um, phone and text commitments. So, uh, I don't always have the best time management. So I will call him and say, you know, for the next hour, I'm going to do X, Y, Z. I'm going to text you when I'm done to, to you know, re-up the next commitment or, or let you know that it's that it's completed. And he does the same. I think that's um, a wonderful tool. So that's sort of a hybrid of action plan and phone, um, the phone tool. Um, I do sponsor. I have um, four lovely ladies that send me their food and or gratitude and or 10 steps. Some, some just send food, some send food and gratitude, some send a formal 10 step. Um, I love that they're consistent and I find that my consistency with turning over my day really helps me stay abstinent. Um, I have my accountability sponsor who I, I email every day and I have a regular sponsor who I, who I touch base with, uh, once a week usually. I think that's the stuff. Oh, I pray before meals. I don't know what I'm praying to or who I'm praying to. Um, my prayers have changed over the years. Um, right now what I'm doing is saying the serenity prayer and the first three steps. Um, I don't know why or how that helps, but it does. Um, but that it's a good segue. I don't know. I'm almost like, I got like six minutes left. Um, so, yeah, I was going to do six minutes to talk about my character defects. Um, I used to have this prayer that I sort of made for myself. It's a little like um, it's akin to the St. Francis prayer. And it, it's sort of the St. Francis prayer is, like, you know, where there is, you know, where there is hate, let me be loving. You know, it's it's like replacing the good thing, the bad thing with the opposite. It's opposite. So um, that prayer it started out with, dear God, help me be kind and patient and loving to myself and others. Um and why I had to start with that is because that is not my default way of being. Um, I am uh, demanding, impatient, and bossy <laughs> and rude. You know, my default way of being um, is selfish and self-seeking. And I tell that the people that have only known me for 10 years, have only known me in program, I'm like, what? That can't be you. And, Five um, minutes. Thank you. And, um 
you know, it is. It, 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 the volume is a lot lower, but my default reaction to so many things is, how can I get that? How can I get more? How can I get you to do what I want you to do? Where's mine? Um, you know, why are you talking when I want to be, you know, monopolizing this conversation? So that's, that's my default way of being. Um, what, what being in recovery gives me is it gives me the neutrality around food. Like I eat three meals a day and a snack with nothing in between. Remember somebody asked me at one time when I spoke at Kitchen Sink, like I've worked out of my home forever, not just during COVID. And they said, well, how do you deal with the kitchen being, um, you know, so close by? And I think about it and I just, you know, like the kitchen does not exist in between meals for me because I eat three meals a day and a snack and nothing in between and I have neutrality around it. So working my program gives me that, which is what gives me everything else, which is what gives me awareness of my character defects, this, this, uh, unpleasant default way of being. Um, so I have the awareness and then I have the ability to pause before acting. Um, and then I have the ability to clean things, to know when I've screwed up and then to clean it up when I've screwed up and recommit, um, to be that, that pleasant, present and appropriate person that I strive to be, that whatever God there is, um, would, would have me be, uh, the way that I feel good about who I am and who I'm being in the world and how I am being to other people. Um, and I've learned a lot about giving service in this program. I think I, you know, as selfish and self-seeking as I am by my nature, I also really love doing nice things for people. And so um, being in recovery has has turned the volume up on that part of my personality and usually turned the volume down a little bit on that, where's mine? What can you do for me? Why aren't you doing it the way I want? Why why is, wasn't it done yesterday? Um, so I have like a like a mixer, like an audio synthesizer that that sort of turns up that ooh that little that person like my friend um, I do karaoke once a week with my gal pals um, virtually and um, my friend was having a lot of trouble with her um, with her like she couldn't use her phone she didn't have earphones I sent her an adapter just you know like uh, $10 from Amazon just because it's like I saw the need and wouldn't that be nice let me just send it to her and I did, and she was like, oh, wow, that's so cool. Thank you. And I was like, problem. Um, it just, it makes me feel good to just do little nice things for people. Um, and I, and that, you know, I do more of that now, but I cut people off. I, I, I'm, I'm rude. I, I try to sometimes get away with paying somebody as little as I can. And my program, um, gives me the, grants me the desire um, to not be that person, to be the person that makes me feel good about myself, where I'm respectful of others, I'm appropriate with others, I uh, appreciate others, um, and I am I'm someone that that people enjoy being around and and are grateful for. Um, and that that is maybe the the greatest gift that I've gotten out of program that to have a desire to be somebody who is kind and patient and loving with myself and others. Um, I think I have like one minute. I will tell you that currently my higher power, I sort of um, stole it from Don P, which is sort of the universal force that I can either 
struggle and flail against like a river and I'm trying to swim upstream, a salmon I am not. Or I can swim with the current and get there and do my part and, and go where the universe is, is um, you know, po- pointing me in the direction that's going to be good for all. Um, and some days I don't have it in me to do that and I can just float and let the, let the river take me where I'm supposed to be. And, and, you know, either of those last two options are fine. The flailing against the river never ends well. It doesn't work for me. It, it really doesn't behoove me to, to do that. And yet sometimes I do. Um, I think that's what I have. I have almost, it's 930 now and, um, thank you everyone for letting me, uh, blather on. Okay, this is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Um, If you have a question, please click the raise your hand icon. Uh, The secretary or I will call on you. I can call on Donna. I can see it. Um, And then you can unmute and ask your question. Um, I think there was something else added if you if you um, asked a question the last three if you asked a question last week, wait for the first three people to um, answer. So I, I don't I don't know if uh, um, we knew that from the but I see Michael B. Michael Blanc first. So hey. thank you, Carol. Hey, it's good to see you. It's good to hear you. So I I. How do you, it's easier for me to be spiritual when I'm um, feeling good physically. And you mentioned that you have like pain and everything. How do you, how do you stay close to program? What kind of tools do you use when you're going through the physical upset? How do you stay close and mm-hmm. just do the same thing that you talked about or any, you know? Well, I mean, you know, um, I, as I mentioned, I've had, I've had juvenile arthritis since I was 13. I'm like, uh-huh. now it's been many years. It's, uh, my physical pain is, is sort of like water to the fish at this point. You know, I came into program already having this chronic illness for a long time. But I think, I think when I'm in a, acute, um, pain and my pain is sort of comes and goes, I have days where it's flaring a little bit. You know, my character defects are a little up. You know, I'm a little more grumpy, maybe a little more bossy. Um, and you know, if I'm, if I'm that way, I, I, Make amends if I need to, you know, sometimes begrudgingly. But, um, you know, we talk about how acceptance is a key to all my, my problems today. Um, I can accept the fact that I'm, that I'm having pain. Um, it doesn't mean I like it. I think the bigger challenge for me is, um, the, you know, the effects it has on my appearance and how I never felt like I was as pretty as the other girls anyway, and now I'm like deformed too. Like, geez. Um, I think I struggle more with the vanity of having a chronic illness than I actually do with the pain. And what does that say about me? You guys like, um, that, that's a compulsive reader for you, right? Um, yeah, I just, I just put up with it. And if I, if I lash out at the wrong person, I apologize. Um, I should, you know, put my feet up more. I should take rest. You know, I should take better care of my body. I still haven't learned to do that. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't affect my program that much because I was well into the chronic. It's just part of my life. So it's, you know, 
But I'm, I'm sorry if that doesn't answer the question, but yeah, it's the answer I have. Uh, okay, Andy. Andy B. Nice to see you, Andy. Hi, Carol. Thank you for leading and being a service. How do you, or how has um, your, over your time this evolved, asking for help and accepting help? Mm, good question. So, um, you know, as a disabled person in the world, in an able-bodied world, I have to ask for help constantly. And I, you know, would hear people share, I mean, oh, I just hate asking for help and it's so hard. And I, and I, my little selfish, snotty part of me says, you know, come to the grocery store with me. I'll teach you how to ask for help. I got to ask for help every dang aisle. Everything's either way up or way down. Why is the, the, the uh, dream grocery store for me would be every, every aisle at waist length, everything I could reach. So I'm like, ah, asking for help ain't no, ain't no thing. Um, you know, asking for help emotionally really hard. <laughs> and I learned that. I was like, oh, okay. So I'm not as, as, uh, it's not such a, such an easy thing for me. Um, I, I had to, you know, get some help recently, some outside help. And, uh, I stumbled into a therapy situation that's, that's just been wonderful and, um, worked with a therapist for, for a good while. And it was suggested that maybe I might, want to take some medication I was like no I don't want to know I'm against it um but I yeah she explained it to me you know it'll just sort of even things out so we can do our work better and I was like okay so I did that um one of the the so it's so asking for physical help because of things I physically can't happen manage easy as easy as pie asking for emotional and spiritual help sometimes really tough um, the one thing that I have to be aware of when I'm asking for all the physical help um, is to be pleasant and appropriate and appreciative about it because I please and thank you. I got to remember. And I'm like, really? You got to say both please and thank you? Isn't just, you know, the, the tone of the request and then thank you afterwards enough? Apparently it's not. Apparently when people are doing things for you, they really like to be um, asked politely with the word please and then thanked. And also not barked orders at. Um, so that, that's, that's a component of asking for help for me is, um, doing so appropriately and appreciatively. And again, sometimes I do better than others on that. So I hope that answered your question. Uh, Nancy is next. Hi, Carol. Thank you so much for your lead. Um, I have a question or if you can give me a suggestion. Um, I'm going through my step nine amends at the moment and there's two people that are on my list that I have not spoken to in a very, very, very long time, but I do have them as friends on social media. So I'm, I feel like I'm in a bit of a predicament at the moment because I'm debating whether to either message, um, my amends and say, hey, you know, I'm sorry for X, Y, Z, or if I should kind of get their consent and message them saying, hey, I need to talk to you about X, Y, Z. So just uh, if you have any experience, strength, and hope around that or suggestions, I would really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Nancy. Um, yeah, step, the, the step nines and amends uh, was something that I dreaded as I was getting up to it, and I certainly did it imperfectly, and I've gone through the list a couple steps a couple times and um you know there's been some really uncomfortable amends um my feeling about your situation like what my what my um 
intuition would tell me if I was in that situation is that I would maybe reach out and say, hey, there's something I'd like to talk to you about. Do you think we could, you know, talk on the phone? Um, or if you, if, if you prefer, I can, I can just message you here. And so you, you give them the option of say, of, of, you know, if they really like, oh, I just don't want to talk to her, they can say, you know, I'd rather not. And then you could say it. Um, you know, that way you sort of, you, I guess you're, you're, you're looking to be as appropriate as possible. You're looking to do no harm. You want to, you want to get the amends done. Um, but you also don't want to be obtrusive. So that would be my feeling. And then if you message them and they like, don't respond, um, I don't know. I might take that as some people just don't respond to messenger, you know, like some people do and some people don't. Everyone's got their, their best way of, you gotta have to figure that out for all your friends. And if you're not, you know, t- don't talk to them a lot, you don't know what their, you know, response time is. Um, but if they don't respond, it may be an indication that they they don't want to hear from you. And, and in which case, you can do one of those things that you do, um, you know, uh, when somebody is, is gone, you know. Um, so, yeah, I might seal them out with, with a message um, and and then see how receptive they are and then make make your decision about how much you should, you know, how you should do it. Tomorrow's with today and tomorrow. Uh, uh, somebody there we go. Oh, well, that's all right. Hams was all. So I hope that, you know, that would be, I would feel it out and just try to be it a, as appropriate as possible and think of that person's feelings and tolerance and interest in, you know, depending on, I don't know what you did to them, but we all have our things. Okay. I hope that Thank you. Joylene, you are next. Hi, Carol. Thank you for your amazing share. I also think you have a really great sense of humor. I thought I would throw that in there. Um, my question to you is, how did you learn to pause before acting um, in regards to food and other things such as spending or life decisions? I'd really like to know because I have a lot of trouble with that. Thank mm-hmm. you so much. Okay. Um, God, you know, with, with food, because I've just worked that muscle of three meals a day and nothing in between, and I'm going to have to report the exact nature of my food to another human being, um, you know, I my, my food was sort of loosey-goosey the first four or five months, and then I started working with a food sponsor. And there is a point where it's like, well, I'm going to have to, whatever I own, whatever I eat, I'm going to have to admit to it. So I didn't necessarily want to be like, I had ding-dongs for snack. Um, although, you know, I do, I can eat all foods in moderation. Um, so it just, that's why weighing and measuring and having the boundaries of three meals a day and the, I do a lot of single serve packaging. Um, it takes those, it takes the guesswork out. It takes the options out. Um, so I, I, I don't, once I was willing and made a commitment, dude, I just, my food is crystal clear. Uh, it's squeaky clean, you know, occasionally I'll eat out or I'll be celebrating birthday order. So um, I think the key to that was just willingness. Now, the life decisions, and I have I, I, I have a part-time job where I work for a, a guy I know from film school, and we're sort of sort of friends, but, you know. And I have composed all cats' cursed-ridden written responses to the crap he's asked me to do or something where I've asked him for clarification 12 times and he just won't give it to me. 
And I've written it out and then, of course, deleted it. <laughs> Occasionally, some of those emails get, get through. But I, I, I guess, um, you know, I just, I, I have the sense of, all right, this is really pissing me off. And I, I want to respond, but I don't have to respond right now. Um, there's, there, if there's a decision, like, God, I don't know what to do. Should I do this? I don't know. Should I do that? You know what? I don't need to, to decide right now. Um, I tell myself I don't. Can this wait until I get some more clarity and some more distance? Um, and if it can, then I, then I, then I try to wait. I try to wait until my head is a little more on straight. Um, it's it's not always that easy. Sometimes sometimes I'll slip and I'll be like, right, right, you know. <laughs> I have sent my boss. He puts up with me because I put put up with him, and I've worked there for over ten years. I have sent him a boss like, are you fucking kidding me? Like I've sent him emails. <laughs> mm. um, but more often than not, I, I am able to to have that pause, and I have my God Squad, my my OA friends, um, who I can say this happened. What what do you think I should do? And I'm just so pissed off at this. I just need to I just need to share that and come before I uh, got my five minutes, Nancy. All right. Yeah. I, I hope that answers um, your question. Uh, Nick Nicholas Nicholas R with your cool beard. Hi, Carol. <laughs> Thanks for your share. I um. I, I know you've come into some kind of success fairly recently, and I guess my question is more about um, do you have trouble kind of accepting success, and how has maybe program helped you out with something like that? Um, and I, I guess the, 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 the flip side of that question is um, it took, you know, I, I also know you very well. I know it took a while to get to that success level. How has maybe program program maybe helped you out to get over maybe some of those milestones before you got there thank you thanks for your question um yeah you know i had like a dream come true dealio um the last few years um career-wise and um it was it was really you know it was a hard process because you know like oh i want this to happen i want this to happen and then it happens and you're like holy shit i gotta do this i, I have deadlines i have expectations and um Thank God I had program, you know, thank God I had a couple decades of, pro, or almost a couple decades of program, um, that helped me with all those character defects, um, that enabled me to behave as a professional human being, um, so that I didn't kill my career just as it was getting started. Cause you know, there are people that, that get these big breaks and then they, they're so unpleasant to work with and they're so all over the place that, you know, people don't ever want to work with them again. And I was able to really, um, you know, navigate. Uh, it was it was scary and it was stressful and it was exhilarating and I was so excited. And um, I got to have all those giant messy feelings with my friends <laughs> and with my, you know, uh, my fellow writers and with my therapist. So that I didn't have to spill anything weird or inappropriate out on my editor or my agent. Like, that would be kind of unprofessional. So I got to be as unprofessional as I needed to be with my, with my people so that I could then be as professional as possible with the professional colleagues. Um, I, uh, discovered, you know, the compare and despair 
got so huge with it. You're like, yeah, it has a success. It's a dream come true. Wait, his success is more than mine. Wait, that person's getting an acknowledgement. Where's mine? I had to deal with that crap. That wasn't any fun. Um, so I, I'm, you know, they, they, they talk about, oh, God only gives you what you can handle. And, you know, God puts things in your life when you're ready for them. I guess I, I needed a lot of preparation to be ready for the success that I had in the last few years. Um, and, you know, I ended up coming through it. It, it all worked out really well. <laughs> um, I didn't like make a fool of myself. I, you know, I got, I got a big award and I had a really great relationship with my editor of my publishing house. Um, I think if I had sold the book in the early nineties, it would have been just a dumpster fire because I was so out of my mind. So I guess it took as long as it took. So I was, you know, I hope that answered enough. I'm, I have one more hand and we have like two minutes. So Bill. You are up. Hi, hi Carol. Um, it's great to see you again and hear you after a long time, actually. Um, I am, after many years of, of being on maintenance, I am working on losing weight. And, and I just wonder how do you deal in the moment when you're fixing your meal and that little voice in your head says, Oh, well, you can add this or you can, you can add that and, and you can justify it because you can write it down and, and share it with your sponsor, blah, blah, blah. Uh, in other words, how do you deal with that voice in your head, uh, as, as you're working on preparing your food? Okay. Um, well, like I said, I eat a lot of the same food over and over again. Um, and I do weigh and measure a lot of my food because that sort of, um, takes the guesswork out of it. Uh, and I, you know, I have that neutrality, but I'll tell you, I added a tablespoon of all natural chunky peanut butter to my breakfast on the advice of a, of a nutritionist that said, Hey, you should maybe have some protein with breakfast. And I wasn't going to like go out of my way to make like meat or like, you know, I was like, what can I do this really easy? So I had that, you know, I came up with that and that's freaking delicious. Right. Um, but sometimes that spoon, that tablespoon is kind of heaping. Not not sort of leveled off, um, so I you know I play a little around a little bit with that uh, with that uh, tablespoon of peanut butter, um, but it it's uh, you know I'm I'm able to maintain my weight. I think that if I my weight started going up and I was like, what am I doing? I might have to look at that tablespoon of peanut butter and say, hmm, maybe maybe need a table knife level off that thing. Um, I I have neutrality and I just. I weigh and measure a lot, and I and I have delicious food that is yummy, and I love it. Um, but it has beginning, middle, and an end, and I I just have the willingness to do that. And as I've gotten older, I've had to drum up the willingness to sh- skim my portion sizes, and I'm like, yeah. and then and I just like, okay, here's the willingness. I'll have a half sandwich instead of sandwich. All right, I heard that, Nancy. Thank you. Uh, that is my time. Thank you, everyone, for letting me uh, share.